sorry, this is actually the first time that um, times has been mixed up with um, with uh, daylight saving. Um, <laughs> I think I've spoken to uh, almost at least you know a few people from each continent, and um, you being the first one now to um, get it, uh, me mixed up with uh, with the times. Because usually it's, you know, six hours before, six hours uh, behind me or whatever the case might be. Um, anyway, how are you, Maya? Good. good, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, just very cold. It's, um, we've, we have like one week of nonstop rain. Really? Here so it's the it's, complete opposite. So, yeah, you're obviously in Israel. Yeah. In, uh, in the south, in Elat. Mm-hmm. So what's the what's the average temperature there now during the week? Oh, I don't know. It feels like 48 degrees in the shade and maybe yeah. more. It's like the last week, is, it's ridiculously hot. Yeah. And then obviously you've got zero humidity and you've got uh, the, the uh, wind that usually comes from the, from the Jordan Valley towards the Red Sea. It's so hot in the summer that when you drive with a bicycle into the wind, it feels like it's burning your lungs. Yeah, it's like sitting in an oven on, on uh, you know, baking mode where it has the fan on. <laughs> it's, it's insane. And getting in the car on a day like that in the middle of the day in order to do errands or something, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's like risky. You feel like you might not make it back home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that the best place to be in a lot uh, in during the day is uh, you know either in the buses or like in the close to the to the mall to the toilet area where you can just quickly run into a shop with air conditioning because there every everything has air conditioning because of that heat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yesterday I went to buy falafel, which is our local food, and it's like a tiny, tiny store. It's like basically a room that is. Anyway, half open because of the stand where you, where he prepares the food for you, and yeah. they have air conditioning. And it's like it's a completely open space. It's ridiculous, but it's like <laughs> you know, at least for just to be, just to make sure you know you have air conditioning in the place. Yeah, yeah. and you and and usually you will spend like five or ten shekels on something not important just to spend like five or ten minutes in the air conditioning it's like the price you're willing to pay for yourself you <laughs> <Yeah>. know <laughs> yeah. it's funny that you mentioned buses because i i don't get to experience the side of the city exactly. uh, yeah 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 and then obviously um you know the um most of the beach in the south where where people can you know camp as much as long as they want has obviously been closed uh, as if i'm correct um yeah they left just a little stra strap that you can you're allowed to camp and now uh, yeah. the city also made it that you're not allowed to uh, park your car there during the night so it became really oh, really yeah you have to like park the car i don't know 10 minutes walk maybe 15 you, know, you have to find a place to park and there is yeah, but, but the, the, the the part that they closed down is that the, the, the part closest to the egyptian border or is that the part kind of in the middle or closer to the hotel uh, to the dive schools and so on they only left the part in the middle the I see. you know the the south beach but not all the way south yeah 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 but but you but you have a part of the beach that they reopened again after uh, you know since the 80s or something that where the gas pile, uh, lines are yeah, so that's a, uh, that's a part of the beach that uh, was uh, closed for many, many, many years. And really, I don't know why they decided to open it. I still, till, till this day, don't get it. 
um, it's also right next to the dolphin reef. So the dolphins are used to like going out of the reef. They're allowed, they're free. And then they, this was their, like their private playground where no one sure. ever showed up. And it's a really beautifully preserved, the reef there. And now they opened it. So uh, yeah. yeah, I guess it's a matter of time before that gets to sheets as well. <laughs> Yeah, because like, that's yeah. kind of the one of the last places in the little uh, uh, southern town where the reef was kind of protected from divers and snorkelers and boats mm -hmm. and um, yeah. all these type of people. So I'm assuming, you know, the fish also knew that they can be there calmly. I think, you know, I think we don't give enough credit to the fish. To, to sure. I mean, they know that it's a safe place. It's quiet there. You know, no one will bother them. And then suddenly people start showing up and that's, there's dolphin there. So it's like. You know, it's now they became the number one diving place. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but I yeah. really recognize the reef. I, uh, yeah. It's uh, yeah, it looks really bad. After the storm last year, we had a storm here that was like once in a hundred years, and now we add that to the coral bleaching, and there's really not much left here. Too. Yeah, I actually I remember the. Um, the storm uh, my last year that I was there that I uh, I was living on the beach in my in my little um, Zula yeah, I don't know I what's remember that, what's we yeah like what's the English word for that like a massive tent I would say I guess Zula? like a, a man-made structure that's made from um, tent material because it's not really like a tent that you pitch it's like you know a bunch of poles yeah, put together yeah it's, yeah, it's like a massive shade, shade. And, yeah and, like mark um, your mark your area I guess you know. yeah exactly and um, I remember waking up. I was the only person that w that slept that night on the beach. And I, you, and everyone kind of, uh, you know, you tried to convince me to stay at a ho at someone's home or, you know, sleep in a in a proper building. And I kind of I was kind of a uh, hard ass that day. And uh, I woke up the next morning, and everything under my my zula was completely all of the the gra gravel and the ground was everything was taken away, um, and it was all pushed into the ocean and all the mountains, um, you know, for those people that's never been to a lot, it's, you know, you've got the Negev desert uh, right next to the Red Sea. So on these heavy floods, all of this uh, gravel water runs into the Red Sea. Um, and I remember that day we had dives and um, we had to snorkel maybe 80 meters out and then you can descend um Below as normally in a lot you walk into the water and you know and you just and it gradually goes deeper and deeper so you start your dive so this day we had to descend from 80 meters from in from uh, from snorkeling out and then it's like 10 meters down the first 10 meters of the layer of the water was complete gravel dust brown murky water and then under that you've got your clear red sea water so it's got this massive blanket over it um, and obviously that smothered all the, the shallow reefs and corals, uh, you know, that was uh, exposed to this uh, storm. Yeah. yeah. I remember that I went to work that morning and, uh, and the police closed this whole route because there is the, there's mountains and then there is their, their highway or like a road and then there's the beach. So the whole thing was completely flooded and I knew that you were sleeping in, on the beach, you know, in that area. And I was, and you still didn't think pick up the phone the phone and i remember like not believing that you even survived the night it was that <laughs> bad no it was yeah. that bad it, it was, was like hardcore. lightning storm and insane i was i, I remembered I, I remember waking up it was like one in the morning or something and i 
I doubted my 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 decision. Like yeah. you know, I, I felt very small and very vulnerable when I yeah. saw the lightning and I heard the thunder and the water just rushing around my tent everywhere. And I can't see anything because it's pitch black. Uh, because they closed the airport and there was taxis that were struck with lightning through the bonnet, uh, through the car. It was like chaos. Wow. Um, but, uh, but then you sent me the video uh, of the storm last year um, when you had that massive sandstorm. It, it was like in the movies where that massive sandstorm came kind of rushing towards uh, the town. I think it was last year or the year before. You remember the that sandstorm rushing through i mean it must be the one that happened just when the corona hit you know we had on march there was the, the first quarantine here in israel and i think like the first few days of the quarantine or like two days before the quarantine began there was this huge storm here yeah. like trees were falling down and you know waves came up like five meter i don't know something insane ah, like, I saw everything that. that was built uh, on the shore was demolished it was ridiculous I remember. um yes you know, you know we went to like where there are like the sun protection how do you call it like this umbrella yeah um, like the, the the shade and it's anchored in like in like i don't know a concrete. meter and a half concrete down under and the whole thing was exposed like the roots of the trees on the yeah. beach were completely exposed it was ridiculous and then the corona hit so it felt like you know, it felt like the apocalypse, seriously, like no one on the streets and the city is completely demolished. It was like two massive, uh, uh, you know, blows in, in one week. No yeah. one could believe it. Like no one knew how the city will ever recover. <laughs> yeah, I remember actually uh, some of my ki uh, kite surfing friends, uh, they were actually out in that storm kite surfing uh, because usually with wow. the southern storm or southern swell uh, that comes into the Red Sea, um, it brings, it's the only time ever that uh, you have waves uh, in a lot. So that's usually when these guys are going out to, to go and enjoy themselves. But I remember like the dive schools, uh, Deep Siam, and these places were completely trashed uh, with the storm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so I want to talk to you about, you obviously spent um, some time in a Land Rover um, and you were actually there when I bought my, when I went to look, bought my first Land Rover and I was actually, I think I, I was talking to someone yesterday or I wrote it down. I can't remember what it was, but I actually had a flashback of that whole day or that morning rather. Wow. Um, because you kept filming my face and my expressions when we went for the first drive, you know, and, and obviously for you, it was a very kind of, um, you know, you, I don't know if you kind of fully understood or grasped the concept of what I was feeling uh, or why I was buying the shit box of a fucking old car. Um, but it was, you know, it, it, I, I'm assuming that you kind of picked up on my expressions that I was kind of happy to buy such a, you know, old vehicle. <laughs> well, I, the way I remember it is that you spent months looking for this car online. I mean, I remember that like when it got to like the, the two weeks before you found it, you were impossible to even speak with. You know, there, there was like no one there. You were, your face <laughs> was in the phone looking for every possible car, messaging people like, and you were impossible. And I remember not understanding the big deal. But then you found one that you thought was the right one. And then we saw a picture of it and it was like insane. I remember that night there was Survivor was on on that night. 
and you couldn't even focus on the show because you were so excited about the car. And then you decided <laughs> the next morning we're going to go and, 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 and see it. And we went to Cape Town to pick up your dad, remember? Or yeah, we, we yeah. met your dad there in the place. And, uh, and then I started seeing, you know, when you first saw her, <laughs> I started seeing the excitement on your face. And I fell in love with her immediately because I love it. It's like my color. It's my favorite color. So I sure. wanted it. And I remember how you were thinking, like, this is too good to be true. And the guy said, like, the price was amazing. And, you know, somebody wanted to buy it. But then just something happened. And, and, and he said no to them because he promised you. And they offered him twice the money, remember? And yeah, so what like, happened is, is uh, yeah. yeah, so what happened is uh, we were standing on the sidewalk and kind of, you know, opening the bonnet and checking underneath and discussing. Uh, and then... Um, me and uh, yourself and uh, uh, of us too, we actually took the car for a drive. Yeah. And then on the way back, the guy, like, we are trying to pay him, like, obviously, you know, uh, through online banking. And his phone didn't stop ringing. And he actually picked up the one <laughs> phone call. And the guy actually told him, like, listen, we'll give you, like, 20,000 more. Just tell this other guy who's there in front of you to fuck off. Like, you know, like, yeah. just tell him it's sold already. It <laughs> but was he like was chaos. a really <laughs> nice guy with, with principles. Wow, so, yeah, uh, exactly. So, uh, yeah, so obviously that was the, the beginning of the end, kind of, uh, yeah. with regards to... I remember to, uh, when, uh, when I saw your face when you, when you took it for the first drive, and it was like you were in your whole own world. Just, you know, I, only later when I started seeing how you react to this car, like paying attention to the tiniest sounds, and like, it's like you're tel telepathic with this car, in a way. And sure. and then when I saw you driving it the first time, and your excitement, you you were like, <laughs> it, it looked like you were a fifteen year old uh, having sex for the first time. It, <laughs> it, it's the only way. I'm so you had such a sweet face, and then you know, oh. and then I was filled with like, with understanding and love, and I was emotional, and I took the camera because I knew like I have to I have to film this moment. Do you still have those videos? I think I have the videos somewhere, yeah, um, because you actually sent me the videos uh, long, long after. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I think I think you drove home with my dad, and I drove by myself. Or did you join me on the way back home? No, uh, we came with our car, so I took our car home. Oh, you, you had to take your the, car the and your dad car. Yeah, we, yeah, that's true. It was the first I time remember... I drove on a highway in Cape Town on the other side. Yeah, of the I think road. you were like behind me or in front of me or something. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Because obviously I took my time um, taking the, getting the car. Sure. But yeah. then, um, you know, we get the car back home. We fast forward a few weeks later. Obviously, I spent too much time, way too much time in the garage fixing things and cleaning shit. And then uh, we went on our first camp, and um, I can't remember actually. Do you remember Chai being happy about the car? Or do you think he would have preferred something more comfortable? I think uh, each time we went on a on a like a camp, uh, you found a more comfortable way for him to sit, and you also installed like a, a bunch of stuff at the back, and you like prepared this closing so that you separated the two. I don't remember, but you made a lot of improvements with time. So. Juni at the beginning was a little confused. And also the car was like bumpy and, you know, it wasn't yeah. that comfortable. And the flooring, <laughs> the place where he sat, it wasn't comfortable for him. But Yeah. Oh, Chai is, you know, he's the man. He gets used to whatever he needs to get used to. Yeah, but I, I think eventually he found a little, we made a little bed for him where he can at least be, uh, have his a little bit of a space to, you know, lay down and not be um, sitting on top of bags and all yeah, that stuff. Exactly. 
um, and then obviously, uh, but then it was the first trip um, that also that the remember that the ga- the the engine uh, fucked out that the the gasket blew on the way oh, the back from Picketburg. Yeah, remember. Yeah, and then we had to call your dad to come pick us up. The place with the huge airplane in the middle of the of the. It's like a little restaurant, and they have all of this. Wow, do you remember this place, Chaim? They had what an airplane where we got stuck. Yeah. On the first day, so there's like this tiny uh, gift shop and a coffee shop filled with stuff, and the outside is also filled with a lot of stuff. Ah, own. that was like a lot uh, of animals and a lot of plants and like. No, 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 no. That was no, no, no. That was with the Corsa. That was with the car. Ah, so Remember, when, we, when, when did we get stuck with your... When we got stuck on the first time, we took the Land Rover for, uh, for a camping trip and we went to the mountain uh, like maybe an hour from here. to have, like a, It was like Nowhere. a campsite with a lot of grass. And um, that's the night that Chai jumped out. Chai, we woke up at, like in the middle of the night with Chai growling. And we'll get to, we'll get to who Chai is in a minute. But we, we woke up with Chai growling because he was sleeping in the tent with us. And then I opened the tent and there was something outside scratching in the black bags. And, you know, we are, we are there in leopard country. So I'm not saying it was a leopard. It was probably something smaller. But we were very far away from domestic cats or any other type of uh, um, canine um, uh, species. So, you know, it's unsure what, what animal was outside scratching in the black bags. But then Chai ran into the darkness and tried to chase this thing. Um, and then on the way home the next day or the day after, um, the engine, like, didn't, uh, the head gasket blew. And we had to drive very, very slowly all the way back home. Remember that? No. You don't remember? We actually, we had to leave the Land Rover uh, at um, Eagle's place on the farm. Because we just couldn't get uh, further anymore. I have a vague memory of it, but I'm not sure. Anyway, and the thing so that... blew off so many times. <laughs> year, I'm sorry if I get. I'm sorry if I get all the all these stories mixed up. <laughs> yeah, so that was uh, the first of many. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, anyway, so to get back to uh, why we're actually talking is, uh, you know, I've have uh, this relationship with this old um, shitty vehicle and you have a very special relationship with Chai so maybe give us a a quick introduction to who is Chai. Okay Um, so Chai is my eight-year-old husky Siberian mix of a dog. Um, By this point he's more human than a dog I would say. And he's my best friend, and he's kind of like my child, and um, and I take him everywhere with me, even though he's kind of uh, on a leave now. He's like on a pension. It's the, now it's the time in his life where he starts to have opinions about everything, and he doesn't want to go everywhere, and we fight about the temperature of the AC in the house all the time, to the point <laughs> where like I think uh, I think of moving <laughs> to the north. <laughs> so last week, and we actually. Like in two days, I'm going to look for houses in the north because Chai said yeah. so. Okay, but obviously, you know, Chai is adopted. It's an adopted dog. Uh, obviously, I didn't give birth to him. Yeah, no, no, no. I just, I mean, you know, it's it's not a it's not a bought um, or no, um, what you call a dog. You know, no, it's I didn't a dog buy that that um, that I rescued. 
the uh, rescue dog. Yeah. So um, so obviously Chai was here with uh, with us in South Africa, uh, which you you brought in from Israel. But uh, the real reason and the real trip that I uh, really wanted to talk about and what uh, what reminded me of your trip was uh, two three weeks ago. I spoke to Sergio uh, um, and then his, his wife, uh, Eleni, that is traveling around uh, the United States. And um, they're originally from Brazil, but um, they kind of made this mission uh, part of their, um, or this goal that's part of their almost like life, um, you know, is to care and help um, do- uh, for dogs and animals next to the road by giving them, um, you know, food or water or whatever the case might be. So uh, I thought, you know, when I when I spoke to Sergio, I thought it really reminded me um, of your trip that you did with Chai uh, when you went down to South America from Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of almost became your speciality, um, became kind of traveling with a dog. And obviously you've had many people or you assisted many people with, um, with information and tips and tricks on um, how to do it um, conveniently. As conveniently as possible, I would even sure. say. Because sure. it's not that, I mean, it's not as convenient as traveling alone, I would say. Uh, even though, you know, it has its pluses because you have a dog that takes care of you, that watches over you, that can watch over your stuff when you leave. Yeah, it has its pluses if you if you have a good relationship with your dog. So yeah, would you like to ask me questions about my trip? How do you want to get this down? Yeah, so so uh, I think let's start from the beginning. Obviously, um, uh, for being uh, you know based in Israel, um, I'm assuming it it took a, quite a lot of paperwork and effort and time and money to to organize. Um, uh, you know, everything for a dog to be transported over to, to South America where you started in Chile, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, I had this dream. I wanted to travel with Chai to South America, uh, to any place, you know, and buy a van and just travel and be mostly in nature. Yeah. And um, I didn't really know how to make it happen. It took me a year to kind of, you know, break this dream down to, to pieces. Like, okay, where do I get the car? How do I get the dog there? Uh, how, what am I going to do for money? Um, and uh, how do we fly? You know, how do you get the, uh, the, uh, talk to the, uh, flight companies in order to understand how to fly a dog. Mm. So there was a lot of issues, um, to work out. Um, but slowly but surely, uh, I, I saved a lot of money and I got all those, uh, pieces of information ready to be used. And when it comes to flying with a dog, lucky for me, um, I found a company that helps people fly with their dogs to other countries, which uh, I also know today that, I mean, every country has a company that does these services because people do that and they need help. So that really made my life easier. There was someone there to like guide me. Okay, this is what you need to do now. And this is what you need to do now. You need to do this blood test later. And this, you need to fill this form 10 days before and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it was a lot of bureaucracy, but, you know, every, many people ask me, like, how hard was it? And it's kind of hard to explain how hard is something because you don't have any comparison. Like, the, comparing to what? I mean, I loved doing it because, my, you know, I knew exactly why I was doing it. So I just did yeah. it. So it wasn't that hard. And it became easier also because we, we, we ended up traveling to more destinies, so destinations. Sure. So. Okay, so uh, obviously, you know, you, you get tried to Chile. Um, 
and then obviously you know like you said now the idea is to travel around so um you ended up taking kind of through uh, the vehicle that you uh, how did you source a vehicle and what did you do to the vehicle the, to kind of make it ready for for the trip that you had in mind um so i knew i wanted to uh, buy a vehicle and i knew i wanted to uh, build it like into a little home on wheels myself yeah. and uh you know, I remember even a week before the flight i still didn't know how the fuck am i going to do that and then uh, i just you know begged for the universe for help and then they sent me uh information about two guys it just happened to be israelis brothers who have a company in chile uh which is where i was going um they help uh, travelers buy vans and like build them and uh and give them some counseling about the trip and i contacted them and they loved the story so much and the fact that i was a girl traveling with a dog and by that time, I had a pretty nice Instagram account, uh, so they decided they want to help me, and they invited me to live at their home, and, uh, you know, they were really, really nice, and uh, so they were the ones who were cons consulting me, like, how to do the paperwork and which car to buy. That was, like, the biggest help, because yeah. I have no idea, like, is this car in a good shape, or is it good comparing to the other cars I might find here? Yeah. And then uh, I used their tools in their backyard in order to build the, to build the van and like putting the solar panels and the kitchen and in uh, a little you know uh, improvised shower and I had a water system so it was a really a nice project. Um, not easy, you know, to be a full month uh, working so hard when you just started traveling and all you want to do is get on the road. Sure. Um, yeah, but it was amazing, and it took me exactly one month, and then I I was ready to go. Uh, and I remember, you know, the car was ready. I already have the key and the switch, and I, I say goodbye to the guys. And then I ask the guy, so uh, I forgot to ask you, like, so where should I go? <laughs> where, where do you go now, now, now that, the, you know, the car is ready? And then he said, ah, you haven't figured it out yet. And I said, no. So he said, mm, I recommend you either go up north uh, or you go down south now because it's going to get cold there. So you get to see Patagonia and it's a beautiful road. And, uh, and then when you get the, all the way down south of Patagonia, you can turn around and stop going, start going up. So I said, oh, nice road. Sounds like nice. Uh, and I started driving south. And uh, it was a bit of a race because I wanted to get there before it gets really cold. Sure. And I remember the plan was to start working uh, using my Instagram account and start creating the opportunities that might bring in money. I, after spending all the money on the car, I had enough for about three months. Yeah. And the plan was like to travel three months to get to the point where all the money is over because that's how I am. I like to live on the edge. And then when the money is <laughs> over, I'm going to start making opportunities and, and making money through the Instagram and, you know, live happily ever after that. Yeah. And then I got, uh, you know, uh, like two and a half months later, I made it all the way to the south and I was almost all the way and I was cold as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I decided, I remember the day I was almost sick by that point and I said, I don't care anymore. I'm turning around. And I started driving like six hours north and then the next day, 10 hours and then the next day, eight hours. And three days later, I was finally in a warm place. I remember opening the door of the van and there's sun <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm going to stay here for two days because it's a huge amount of kilometers to drive like this for. Yeah. Do you remember how, how, how much uh, did, did you uh, drive down from Chile down south until you turned around? How many kilometers or, or not? I don't know to like tell you exactly how many kilometers this 
part took i don't remember the number but uh it took me two and a half months and and most of what i did was driving so it's a lot sure it's like i think it's like almost half of the continent no yeah sorry like a third of the continent yeah um and uh, also this is but one of the best parts you know of this trip was patagonia all these little villages uh very remote from like uh, civilization and um and in between there is huge distances of completely beautiful wild um nature and every now and then you have to get on a ferry because it's water and the the road might be blocked because of avalanches and so it's like you go you go into the unknown and uh it's very adventurous i loved that part of the trip Except for the fact that it was, I was rushing it all the way down, and then I was rushing it all the way up. I see. And yeah. uh, when, but but obviously, when you were uh, kind of in the more southern part where it was the coldest, um, was that kind of a comfortable space for Chai, seeing that he is a little bit of a Siberian husky? Yeah, that was our. Oh, that was you know we we never. Uh, had a place where we both enjoyed the weather together <laughs> it's like <laughs> never happened either he was on the top of the world like playing in snow and i was sick and and cursing and dying and pissed off or yeah. it was the other or like i'm enjoying the heat and and he's about to like pass out and i, I put wet towels on him and like blow air on him just to get him to cool down a little bit yeah uh, yeah, but I mean, uh, you know, a lot of the the photos that you've that you've posted uh, from from the trip around the southern area, I mean, those lakes and mountain ranges, I mean, it, it's fucking spectacular. Yeah. Um, so obviously, you know, you 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 kind of going through the motion of the story as if it was a, a touch and go, but obviously, you know, there was a lot of time, like you said. I mean, it took you what two and a half months to drive down. Yeah, for sure. So, well, you know, so obviously, yeah. you know, there's a, there was a lot of time spent in those areas. Uh, it, it wasn't literally just uh, uh, overnight and then uh, turning no. around again, you know. So um, mm. I'm sure, and obviously from, from the photos, there was obviously a lot of um, of really spectacular places that you guys uh, got to see and experience. Mm. And obviously it's uh, overnight in um, kind of in the wilderness. Yeah, so um, because I was broke, <laughs> um and also you know i i think i went out to this adventure to get lost in the wild anyway yeah um you know i just i didn't need the company of people and i wasn't in the mood of like sitting in a hostel and getting to know all these you know people i i just wanted to be in the nature and if i just happened to meet someone there then that would have been nice but i never i don't think i i almost even once in this trip you know, did anything deliberately in order to go and meet someone or find people or because yeah. I was lonely. Yeah. I do remember that me and you, we were talking a lot on the phone back then. I mean, that was... Yeah, obviously, you know, there was a few times it made me fucking nervous because um, I'm talking to you from a comfortable uh, couch and you're somewhere <laughs> in a dark wilderness, uh, you know, <laughs> with no one around. And then one o'clock in the morning, there's some dodgy policeman knocking on the van's door <laughs> or uh, screaming or telling you to quickly come out on all this dodgy shit. No, lucky for you, that was uh, this one occasion that you're mentioning now. That was one of the rare times I had Wi-Fi or like I had a signal where I was staying in, with the van in the nature. Because yeah. most of the horrible cases, you only got to hear, you know, afterwards. later, afterwards. Yeah. yeah. And it, I think I do remember, yo, I do remember how uh, unusual was that feeling that I'm, I'm now in a position where I feel unsafe. 
and there is actually someone I can share it with. Like I can talk to you and tell you, hey, Woody, like I need an advice. What do I do now? I mean, that was, I think, the for only time in this yeah. year and a half of a trip in which, uh, you know, I, I, and then I also remember like the responsibility of putting it on your shoulders and you have to bite your nails through the night and hope I don't get raped or killed or, Okay. Yeah, or just hurt. Uh, yeah. But you know, but yeah. it was. I mean, you know, uh, from the beginning, I, I, uh, since I met you, I knew you're a very capable individual. But you know, there was other instances that was that gave me so much anxiety, uh, like the night that you were sleeping somewhere at a gas station or something, and Chai escaped. Or you were sleeping outside because of being so hot, and when you woke up, he was gone, and then he was somewhere far in the darkness and the other side of a fence or something and you couldn't understand how he got to the other side of the fence no no like I'm, I'm just trying to put these things together of, uh, of all these crazy things that you know that really kept me up at night that day that you're talking about with the fence that was uh when i was about to yeah we didn't even spoke about it because you were in survival uh, I was uh, in Chile, back in Chile, selling the van. I spent two weeks living in a gas station that was located on an island in, in between, you know, two sides of the highway, like four-lane highway. Yeah. And on one side, there was the airport. So it was on the way to the airport. And it was really hot. So I was sleeping, you know, outside and like, uh, you know, spending time all night with the people in the restaurant of the gas station and begging them for food. And I would trust him to do whatever he wants. And... And then at one o'clock, I, I hear this big bang and I about to jump out of the car. But something told me like, wait a second. And I looked through the window and I realized people running and crying and a very uncomfortable oh, scene. Right. And then I got out. Eventually I got out and I asked what happened. And there was a robbery. Like people came in with guns and they shot in the air inside of the gas station, inside of the restaurant. And they That's stole right. the money and they punched the security guy and Chai is gone. So I started like crossing the four lane highway and whistling and I can't find him. And I'm like wearing pajamas and I'm barefoot, you know, and, uh, and then I go to the other side and I cannot find him and I'm starting to freak out and I go back to the gas station and I beg people to help me. But like everybody's in their, in their own, you know, uh, freak show yeah, of, of what just happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I went back out and I eventually found him. Like I, 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 I'm whistling on the, on the fence of the airport and suddenly I see him running from the inside of the airport to me <laughs> and we're like hugging through the fence and I go, okay, I say Chai is alive. But then I'm like, Chai, how did you get in here? And he had no idea. Obviously he, he was like in shock when he went, yeah. got in there. So we started looking for a hole in the fence and we couldn't find it for like 20, 30 minutes. So I went back to the gas station and I begged someone, which by that point they had the police and, you know, they were like investigating the case and I asked for anyone to help me or to maybe call someone in the airport so they will allow me to get my dog back and nobody cared. So I remember like asking for people for help and I'm feeling so frustrated and tired and my, my legs are already like bleeding from all the, all the spikes and the thorns and the bushes that were in the trench on the side of yeah. the road that I had to climb in and out all the time. I grab a piece of stick and I go back to the I go back to the fence and I'm telling like Chai, I'm not in the mood for the shit. Start digging and we're both like digging under the fence. And you know, I worked in an airport in Israel for three years in the security. I know that digging under a fence of an airport in the middle of the night, especially in Chile, <laughs> is a bad idea. But like I was not in the mood to, and we just dug and I made a little hole and he he, he crawled underneath and 
we were both like got in the car pissed off <laughs> dirty you know tired he wanted to sleep outside and i said no way like not tonight <laughs> and um yeah so that was another story that i told you only when i got back to israel and you came back from the island yeah exactly um yeah. but then uh, uh when you when you when you were driving south did you ever cross into argentina or did you I cross did. on the way up I did like several times I went in and out of Argentina. Like, yeah, I was actually times. I mean it's it's very far off the topic now but I was actually watching a small documentary last night about the Andes uh plane crash that happened in the 80s. Uh, I didn't I wouldn't I want to assume that you know what what it, what it uh, is. Actually I do know what it is. I saw a documentary about it as well. Oh really? Ago. Yeah, it was like a, a football group or something, right? Yeah, yeah. fucking they had to it's eat each incredible. Other. It's yeah, crazy like, story. But they lived, I think they survived like 72 days or something in snow, stupid the in the middle of the snow, in the middle yeah. of the Andes. It was like, and they ate the bodies of their friends from the group. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, wow, it was just mind blowing. Yeah, um, anyway, so, um, okay, so then, um, uh, you decided, fuck this cold, you're turning back up again. Uh, you went up to Chile. And then, I uh, went up you... actually through the Argentinian side this time. So when I, I went see. down, I was mo- mostly on the western side, like stuck yeah. to the to the beach. Um, and then and then when I got down, I came up on the eastern side, and I was on the beach of uh, Argentina, which I always I confused about this ocean between Argentina and South Af- and South Africa, for example. Which ocean is it? The Pacific. Uh, the Atlantic. Atlantic. Yeah. Yeah. So on the Atlantic side, and then and when then I got, got halfway the through Pacific and the other side, the yeah, nice exactly. Pacific, yeah, yeah. When I got through um, Argentina on the and the eastern side, and I ha- halfway through the length of the country, I came all the way back to Chile to Santiago, where I started. I kind of closed the loop, and I had to fix all these stuff that came up, you know, through the first three months. Um, I have to fix uh, all of these stuff. Um, and arrange yep. like the, the the solar panels and all this stuff. I remember at that point I ran out of money and uh, I ended up uh, playing guitar in the streets for like a month before I could continue. So so at that time, what was your your daily budget for food and for whatever? Wow, nothing. But you know, <laughs> nothing in shekels is not the same as nothing in rand. But yes, yeah, um, right. I don't know, man. Like twenty shekels, which would be eighty rand. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, uh, yeah, but that's for food. Like, I think the gas, the gasoline was the most expensive part of the whole trip because sure. I did drive a lot. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's why you were there is to travel, obviously. So, um, yeah. But, but then, looking back, I always judge my rhythm. Like, you know, why, why didn't take more take my time? You know, sure. I mean, how come? I think it was it was deep down that was where I really wanted to wake up every morning, to make my cup of coffee, to get on the wheel and just drive for eight hours and enjoy yeah. the roads. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. There was actually now that I think about it, you, you, the videos that you've made back then, because obviously, I've, and I don't think even we've mentioned that is uh, there was a uh, a stage or throughout the trip that you were obviously doing um, small little promotional videos for PayPal. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a few of these videos that you 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 did quite a lot of filming actually, just just stock standard filming of you driving, uh, you know, continuously driving through different states and different towns and villages and beaches and forests and stuff. And it was amazing, uh, you know, obviously because I was following you to kind of see the the change of scenery and environment, uh, you know, as you are moving down up and south. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but then, um, obviously, you know, you mentioned now that uh, around Chile, when you did your first uh, roundabout, that you were kind of out of money. But that was almost only the halfway. That was only half of the trip. Uh, that, that was, was the first, like I don't even quarter of the trip. <laughs> yeah, and that like the PayPal thing happened way way later. Yeah. Uh, after I think you know that's something that today, looking back, I can really uh, appreciate is how. Uh, everything happened exactly as it was supposed to, and I feel like I was very like guarded spiritually or whatever you want to call it. Because you know, just when I was uh, about to run out of money, someone contacted me from a big news um, uh, television channel in Israel, and they wanted to do a piece about us, me and Chai traveling together. And they made like this short five-minute video, and they aired it and uh, online as well, and. It, you know, got a lot of like almost a million views here in Israel, I remember. which is a huge amount of people. And that really was the thing that kind of started um, everything for me. Like I started getting proposals and, and advertising deals and stuff like that. Um, you know, I remember, remember I, I was in Mendoza in Argentina. I really ran out of money. Like I couldn't even have money to, to buy dinner. And yeah. then I found this house. They wanted me to babysit the chickens and the dog while they were going. <laughs> and, and I remember talking to you, and I, I, I didn't know what to do. So I said, I'm going to go and work as a waitress. And then I found out that they pay like eight shekels per hour, which yeah. I don't know in rand is like, I don't know, 40 rand, which is nothing. Yeah. So I yeah. said, hell no, I'm not going to be there. And then you told me, you gave me the advice. You told me, Mayan. You came all this way to start doing videos. Isn't that what you want to do? And I was like, yes. And you've been ignoring this, you know, uh, the thing that you want to do because it's hard to get started. But now you ran out of money and you're trying to keep yourself occupied with everything else besides what you really want to do. So just start making a video and something will come up. And I remember sitting down, sitting for three hours on the computer, basically just watching tutorials about how to do a video on, on Premiere Pro. And three hours in, I didn't even start doing the video. I got a phone call from this artist in Israel who wants to do a video clip about me and he's willing to pay. And that was yeah. the first job I got. So, so you were, I remember, I will never forget this lesson. Like just, just when you're lost, just do whatever it is that you're good at or you feel like you should be doing, yeah. even if it's the least promising you know, thing and, and the universe will take care of you. <laughs> that's and that's also uh, the house with the chickens where Chai helped himself with a few chickens. No, no, no. Hey, we're not talking we're about not. it in public. <laughs> please, <laughs> please. I never, I never really admitted, you know, to myself or to those people that that's what happened. So we rather leave it. <laughs> okay, we leave it to a Please. <laughs> they will call me and ask for more wow. money. <laughs> wow, that's funny. Okay, so then. Uh... And it wasn't funny, you know. When I, if you saw the faces on those chickens that morning, the ones who survived, you know, the trauma they've been through, <laughs> it's yeah. their house. And now they're like all shocked. No, uh, sure. it, was, it wasn't funny. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I, I agree with you. But, um, you know, just, just understanding, uh, you know, just having had the opportunity to obviously, you know, spend so much time with Chai, it's almost like, you know, saying that the nice, quiet kid from the school is the one that is the bully. You know, like yeah. it's almost, it's almost too, it's impossible to believe that it was Chai who could have done the damage to the chicken. So, yeah. you know, uh, and but, yet, you know, he, he is a bit of a hunter. Like you've seen him chasing mice in the, <laughs> in the, in the, in the field, right? In, yeah, so, sure. You know, no, no, he's definitely, I mean, that was his lived for. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so obviously, um, you know, then um, you get your ass in gear, you start making the, the uh, movies, mm-hmm. and um, you decide to start heading north. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what was, uh, did, uh, did you go from Chile straight up to Peru, or did you cross through Bolivia into uh, Peru? Um, no, so I went first to Bolivia. I really wanted to go to the Salar, Salar de Uyuni. It's like the salt desert. It's where everybody takes those cool sure. photos with the mirror on the floor. Yeah, that's 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 the few places uh, on social media. If if you see anyone at the salt pans, ninety nine percent it's maybe possible that it's an Israeli because yeah. this is like one of the things that Israelis have to tick tick off if they go to. South America, they go to the salt uh, lakes. If they go to Thailand, they go to the full moon party. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's Israelis in general, it's way more than that. Like in general, they have like three hundred things on this list, not just two. No, sure, uh, sure, but this, they this have is their own hummus root. You know, <laughs> you heard of the hummus root? Uh-uh. It's like you know, when an Israeli go to travel somewhere in the world, especially places that are completely full of Israelis like South America they you know they start they because they follow each other and they like watch over each other and if one finds a business that he likes he recommends and then the next day 300 Israelis will be there and the next day it's like all signs in Hebrew and like the the people who work there learn Hebrew and so that's the influence Israelis have on, on places, touristic places like that. So eventually, you know, you have a route that is being formed that everybody goes to. Where do you I go see. to this? There and there and there. We have like a, a Facebook group of, I don't know how many people, like hundreds of thousands of people who travel to South America and they just, a tight community that tells each other what to do. And they, you know, it's like there is no more room for any spontaneity in, yeah. in traveling as an Israeli. So we call it the hummus route, the route of the hummus. That ah, the hu- okay, yeah, yeah. But, but that's exactly what we had in, in when I was living in Thailand. On the island, we had this very small, uh, petite little Thai lady, older lady, and she spoke fluent Hebrew, and she tapped into the market. You know, she yeah. realized, like, all these Israelis, you know, they like to stick together. They like to do, like, the same shit. So she started to teach herself how to speak Hebrew, and she was making a shitload of money of Israelis, just, you know, sending sure. them to the same party. And then the next day, the new group, the next day, the new group. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it's amazing how it's all around the world. It's exactly like that, this uh, hummus route. Because Israelis like, like to feel special. And then when they go to the <laughs> end of the world and there is a little Thai woman who speaks Hebrew, it's like a, it's like a cultural uh, attraction, you know? Yeah, it's sure. Like, yeah, I would pay money just to take a video with this woman and send it to my mom because it's funny. <laughs> You know, I don't care about whatever she sells. It's just the yeah. thing, you know, to take off the list to go and take a photo with that woman. Sure, sure. No, it is true, actually. Um, anyway, <laughs> so, but, uh, so and, and then uh, the border crossings at, at this stage, uh, how, was it, how easy was it to cross borders with, uh, with Chai or you had all the paperwork in place for this? No, so every time you cross a border, you have to get the, the papers regulated again. Um, Chile and Argentina are pretty um, advanced countries, so everything is much more regulated. So the usual um, thing you have to do is first you go to a regular vet and you show them, you know, your kind of the passport or like the vaccination book for the dog. And he yeah. tests the dog and he sees that everything's okay and he gives you like this health certificate. And then you need to go to a... Um, um, state vet with those forms that you have and he 
for, it gives you like a permission to cross the border within 10 days. Um, I see. And then, it, and then it's hard because those state rates are only located in big cities. And if you want to cross the border, and usually the border crossings are like in remote towns because nobody lives by the border. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you always have to, by, from the minute you take out this piece of paper, you have to be kind of, you know, I mean, not free completely to do whatever you want. You have to uh, get through the border on time. Sure. What happened is that once I crossed to Bolivia, um, I started realizing that this is like no man's land. It's like uh, nobody cares here. And and instead of putting all this money and effort on paperwork, I might as well just get to the border and try my luck. And worst case, they tell me I don't have the paperwork, I'll go back and I'll do them. Yeah. So from there on, uh, that's what I did. I mean, there was one time when I got into Colombia, uh, I left Chai with the van and I parked the van at the back and then I went to do all the paperwork. And that was like our routine. Chai was waiting with, in the car or outside of the car. And, yeah. then, and then suddenly they asked me, okay, bring the car for inspection. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> what am I going to do now with Chai? Am I leaving him at the back, tying him to like a post or something? Or am I going to bring him with the car? And I decided to bring him with the car and just hope for the best. Yeah, and lucky for me, I spoke Spanish, so you know, and I'm a girl, so it was very easy for me to kind of flirt with everybody and get my way out of trouble. So they see the dog, and they were like, "Whoa, there's a dog in your car!" And I was like, "Yeah, that's my friend." And up until a moment ago, we were having like a full-on conversation about me, and I failed to mention the dog. And then suddenly, <laughs> ah, there is also a dog in the picture, but you didn't say anything. And then, and they said, "Where are the paperwork?" So I just grabbed his, you know, vaccination book, which is yeah. not the paperwork that are required. And I yeah. said, here, here is the paperwork with complete confidence. And the guy looked at it, so confused. And he said, are you sure that this is what it needs? And I said, for sure, 100%. I checked with the vet before I crossed. That's what it needs. Um, and then he said, well, okay, <laughs> good job for being so organized. <laughs> and he uh, set me off. So yeah that's crazy okay but also there's two things i think that we now that we need to also mention i think is you, uh, how much spanish did you know before flying into south america it's kind of hard to tell i practice duolingo a lot you know duolingo in south africa okay, yeah. okay but uh, but but my point is uh, you 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 taught yourself spanish because of the trip for sure or not yeah for sure um you know and then the i knew a little thing... bit before but yeah yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, uh, the amount that you were able to to have conversations, um, continuous conversations with uh, with uh, you know regular people on the street, was um, you know it was about it was average and above. So um, you know you don't really know how good you are until you're thrown into a situation where you you don't have a choice. So I mean, if you asked me on the day that I left, I told you no, no, I don't know Spanish. But then yeah. when I just got there on the first day. It turned out that I forgot the book of all the paperwork on the on the airport, and and the guys, the Israeli guys who helped me, told me that it's due. Like there's no way I better have a copy because there's no way in Chile, which is like they said a group of idiots, you know, like the Chileans are so messy, and there's absolutely no way culturally that somebody saw this thing and put it in the right place in order for me to be able to come back to the airport and find it. And I, I said, I don't care. I'm going to try. And so on my second day in Chile, I get into the bus and I start driving, you know, from the city to the airport and back. Yeah. And I had to manage with whatever Spanish I had. And then, and then you realize like, oh, okay, you know, I, I can get by when I have, when I can't be shy and yeah. I just have to speak. And I said, then hmm, things are happening. And I found the briefcase, by the way. <laughs> 
Wow, amazing. The guys didn't believe it, but yeah, I found it. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, where are we now? So you uh, from Bolivia, you crossed into Peru. Uh, so yeah, um, from Bolivia, I crossed into Peru. A friend of mine uh, from Israel decided to come and visit me. Um, by that point, I'm like eight months into the trip. Um, yeah, you know, there are many interesting stories that happened uh, throughout their way that I'm not sure if you're interested in hearing. And then we went Anything. to Cusco. Anything. Did I tell you about the time where uh, my car got... In, uh, I think it was uh, the beginning of Peru. And, uh, and, you know, I'm trying to push it out and I can't. And there's a really creepy guy looking at me from uphill. Yeah. And I'm wondering, like, why is he looking at me? And then he comes with another friend and he asks me if I need help. So now I'm in a position where I need help and the guy is offering it, but I'm not, I don't trust the guy. And yeah. we're trying to push and it doesn't come out. And then he said, okay, let me be on the wheel and you push, you and two other guys. <laughs> and at that moment, you know, the worst came to my mind. Like, okay, if I'm going to now push the car and, you know, everything is in the car. Yeah. And the guy's driving it, he can just take off. You yeah. know? So I remember it was like the worst decision I had to make. I asked Chai to get into the car and sit there while the guy is driving it because I yeah. knew that either he's sitting with the dog and now I lost everything, <laughs> but maybe the fact that Chai is there will convince him not, if he was thinking about it, not to do it. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, are you sacrificing your dog in order to, to get, you know, and you might lose both. And yeah. I said, yes, you know, and I felt like, okay, that's what I need to do now. And Chai was sitting in the car and the guy was managing, managed to drive drive us out and he pulled over and I jumped in the car and took off. So it was like, wow, one of the scariest moments. Um, wow, and, that is uh, horrible. Yeah, actually. but yeah, it yeah, was. It just, a, just the idea of that is, yeah, is, is horrible. Yeah. yeah, I mean... I mean but it the, goes the, to show like the things you end up having to deal with, stuff that you would sure. never imagine that you would have Sure. To. Well, I remember, you know, the amount of times that you find me on random times asking me, um, listen, I've got this wheel that's kind of uh, shaking, <laughs> or I've got this leak here, or this hose. Why does the car doesn't I mean, you know, this is, uh, it's all things, um, and it's, and you know what, it actually, it, it goes hand in hand with something that happened to me now, um, last, uh, we, this past weekend, um, I had to um, deal with a mechanic, like with a car garage, and it was just so unprofessional and unorganized. And, you know, they're telling you at 10 in the morning, 2 in the afternoon, 4 in the afternoon, and then they phone you and then they don't answer phones. And I just, I told someone like, you know, this is how they, I treat me. Someone who's, I'm not a mechanic, but, you know, someone that's a male that's kind of uh, understood what the issue was that I was uh, dealing with and what I asked them to help me with. But what if this, if I was a, f a female, you know, uh, how terrifying and intimidating yeah. must it be for a female to go to a fucking car garage when she has an issue with her car and all these guys, mechanics can, you know, she has, she's at the Repair. mercy of these yeah. people because they can tell her a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars, you know, or you need this, or you need that. And she will have to believe it because she doesn't know better, unfortunately, you know, so it's, it must be a very terrifying feeling. When uh, you're either in that uh, in, in that um, uh, environment or an environment like you, uh, where you are stuck and you're unsure how to get unstuck, and the only way to get out is, you know, asking someone that you don't trust to help you. Yeah, 
Yeah, so my, my maneuver was that whenever I came into a place where I had to fix something, I would stop like a taxi driver. And if and I would ask him like, hey, I, I'm, I'm just passing by and I need to find a mechanic. Can you recommend me on your guy? Because I know, yeah. a, you know, a taxi driver would either recommend me on a really good guy or it's his friend and he's sending sure. me over to re get ripped off. And then, you know, I just have to follow my intuition and ask if I, if I trust this guy. But oh. I do remember there was, you remember when my car was, um, when it was hacked in Colombia and they stole like 9% ah, of my yeah. valuable the and everything. So they also broke the door. So I found myself having to drive back to the city, um, when the week, when the weekend was over and I needed to fix the, the door and, uh, and I'm standing there in the rain, like the car is parked. I asked the uh, taxi driver and he, he sent me to the street full of like people doing exactly the same thing so now you're in a street full of comp people who compete competing with each other on the same yeah. service and i found this guy and he looked nice and i asked him and he said uh, yeah i'll fix it for you for this and this amount and i'm standing there in the rain and the whole door is like open completely and the, all the electricity of the window is like exposed and it's raining and and i remember telling you like dude i don't feel you're doing a good job and he's like no no no, nothing i'm telling you you're like destroying my the, the mechanism of the window and i'm going yeah. to, have to pay for it later and he's like no no no, i know what i'm doing and he ended up doing a horrible job and i remember feeling very frustrated and i think i ended up going without paying i think Whoa. do you remember i show you like yeah, yeah i remember of, of the yeah, silicon uh, yo he made such a shitty job but that's that proves my point no, no, your point is like nobody argues on your point. It's yeah. just part of the it's part of the deal. You know, I had this issue with the car that whenever I went high up the mountains, then the air pressure was getting lower because yeah, that's what so happens. Yeah. And and then it was hard to start the car. Yeah. So every time I was camping in high ground, I would wake up in the morning and I would have my fingers crossed that the car starts because you know if it doesn't then there's no one there to help you so I, yeah. at some point i remember i i trust the car I, I didn't trust the car at all so i ended up parking the car in a really steep angle and putting like rocks underneath the v underneath the wheels so that in case in the morning i wouldn't be able to start it off then i can at least take the rocks down and like jump start it reverse sure so but, I became really yeah, good. Yeah, but, <laughs> no, no. I mean, there was. I don't think I know of anyone, even um, uh, if some of my male friends that could have done a better job than you. No one. Listen, you were like the MacGyver for the strip by by far. But you know, it is small things like that that you couldn't have planned ahead. Uh, no one would have told you. Listen, when you go up into elevation, you'll have to uh, the timing of the car will have to be adjusted for the elevation or the altitude. No one will be, no one would, would have told you that, you know? So those are things that, that you need to kind of uh, figure out by yourself in the situation when you're stuck in the shit, unfortunately, you know, yeah, um, but that's, that's life. You know, the more you get out of your comfort zone, the more you are likely to encounter complicated situation and uncomfortable situation. But I think at the end of the day, you know, there isn't, you can choose the approach in which to address them. And, sure. and um, you know, I think looking back at all the shitty moments I had in this trip, and there were not quite a few, yeah. you know, I know today that there is nothing, like nothing that I cannot solve or, or like, 
get done by myself. Sure. Nothing yeah. in this world can break me. So uh, it's a hell of a gift to receive. No, I agree with you. And it's um, worth all the shitty moments and the insecurity and all the money that I lost, you know, on the wrong mechanics and all the, yeah. and on the wrong treatments for the car and buying the wrong phone that ended up, you know, moving it in the next country <laughs> two weeks later. And now the phone is blocked because it's all yeah. in Chile and I lost $600 or yeah. Yeah, well. <laughs> I guess that's part of it. But um, did I tell you about? Because um, now we're talking about um, close to the to Ecuador. Did I tell you when um, Bar, a friend of mine, was on the uh, Sea Shepherd ship when they were stationed outside the Galapagos? You didn't. What was the story there? So um, he did a he did a tour. Um, I think it was last year where they were stationed close to, to, to Ecuador. And um, the strait between Ecuador and the Galapagos, I don't know how much, how, uh, much that is in distance, um, but um, there was some, and it was actually in our news in South Africa, there was a fleet of like 241 or something stupid amount of Chinese fishing vessels and fridge vessels that pulled up into the strait uh, to fish and they were all lining up to obviously because in the middle of this strait um, is is kind of international waters so it's not part of ecuador or Gala the galapagos um, and so it's a legal strait a small narrow strip where they are legally allowed to fish but all of these boats kind of pulled into that strait uh, so one morning at home here i, I got a message from uh, someone that was on the sea shepherd ship a friend of mine and um, he sent me a voice note that I had to translate to him because they um, presumed that the voice note was in Afrikaans so it was like a four minute voice note of two Afrikaans speaking uh, mechanics uh, engine room um, um, mechanics that was on two different ships on completely uh, not not on the Chinese vessel vessels they was they were completely different uh, vessels and it wasn't fishing vessels but they were also stationed within the area so the Sea Shepherd actually picked up on their radio signals and they they tipped uh, they tapped into their radios and you can hear these two guys um, talk but they are talking about engine problems and. Yeah, I need to fix this. I, yeah, yeah. What do you What do you do when you break this thing? Uh, I will have to fix it. And, and they thought it, it was like very uh, important information. Yeah, and the sea ship. I thought these guys are planning. You know, they're talking yeah. about how to steal all these fish and shit. So I had to translate the message, but it was so funny because the uh, the one guy was actually. Um, from the accent you can hear he was uh, the one guy was from south africa and the other guy was from namibia mm. um so, so it was amazing it was so funny to see these two guys in the middle of the pacific ocean uh and then another friend of mine you know driving past on the sea shepherd and uh, actually picking up on their conversation mm. anyway um so <laughs> then uh, you obviously passed through ecuador when you ended up in uh, colombia yes uh yes so um yeah but well i don't know if you remember but uh when i was in north peru that was when i called you and i told you that i'm ready to go back uh, i want to go to to visit you in south africa ah sure yeah, and that's when yeah. you told me listen i'm uh, you know uh i'm waiting for a response from survivor and if i get in then we'll 
months before I'll even be in South Africa. So go ahead, continue your trip, and we'll speak later. And yeah. I was very angry, <laughs> but uh, I accepted your uh, request. And then uh, I kept going north uh, until I reached the northern, the most northern part of Colombia, of this the continent in general. Yeah. And uh, I did the free diving course, and I stayed. There was like the longest I've ever stayed in one place in Tanganga. It's a beautiful like lagoon um, in the in the. What is it with me and the and the seas today? The <laughs> what's the name of the sea? <laughs> I can't believe I forgot. Um, the northern part. That's the Caribbean. Yeah, isn't the Caribbean. It? The Caribbean. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, and then and then okay. So my uh, ex boyfriend, which happens to be you, uh, the plan was you went <laughs> to student to an island somewhere, and I had to. The plan was for me to drive all the way back to Chile sell the van, take my dog, go back to Israel and wait until you come back and then uh, get a plane ticket and come to you. Yeah. And I remember being so impatient that I drove 7,500 kilometers in two weeks, which wow, is what, what took me a year and a half to go up. I, it took me uh, two weeks to go down. Okay, but then also you need to add now, because seven and a half thousand kilometers is there's two two versions of seven and a half thousand kilometers. There's the one version that you can go from Cape Town all the way to the Angolan border uh, through Namibia on tar roads. Your seven thousand five hundred fucking kilometers is literally the shittiest roads, back roads that you can imagine, and that's also that is the reason why it took you two weeks. Um, yeah, and I it's like it was halfway like Colombia, Ecuador. Uh, Peru, half of Peru, it was really shitty roads. It was yeah, like yeah. exhausting. It was like curvy, you know, all the way and like very dangerous roads as well. Yeah. But then when it started hitting like south of uh, Peru and the entire uh, country of Chile, that was just oh, highways and highways and highways. So that's also a boring part of the drive. Yeah. But at yeah. least you get to go faster. But yeah, I count the drives by hours and not by kilometers so I yeah. was like 11 hours every day yeah. which was insane until the day i don't understand what is so fucked up about the way i operate that caused me to do it like why yeah. why couldn't i make it three weeks or or a month you know what was it in me that I had to do like that i don't know but um yeah and and the most frustrating thing was that you weren't there to speak to you know after after getting used to talking to you more and more throughout the trip until the few you know the last six months we almost talk every day for like an hour yeah and, that's and true. suddenly you know i'm going back to israel to sell my van to kind of uh, say goodbye to my dream trip in order to uh, unite with you in south africa and all this time, I'm hoping that you didn't meet this beautiful brunette on the island that you changed your mind. <laughs> I remember <laughs> that was like, if I go all the way back to Israel and wow. you change your mind, wow, <laughs> well, I will come all the way to South Africa just to cut off your balls. <laughs> no, I was, I was in the middle of the Pacific Ocean in Samoa, like suffering fucking from not eating for a week sleeping on a fucking bamboo bed uh, with six other people, like in the pissing um, ter uh, torrential rains. 
in, in nothing more than a speedo and um, you know a shirt. So um, there was no time to to second guess or try to fucking do anything else and try to survive. So um, yeah, we had two very different um, experiences experiences at the same time. Yeah, and yet not that different, you know. And then yeah, no, sure. And then extreme, you know. At least they were, they were extreme in their similarities. Um, exactly. yeah but anyway um, interesting story we have between us huh? yeah it's um, you know it's I think that obviously there's a lot a uh, lot before the trip and whatever but um, you know that's kind of the the um, the the meat of the pie I guess um, yeah I guess yeah. you can say. So um, now that you're back, obviously, you know, the, the, the eight years that you've spent with Chai has obviously shaped um, a big part of your life. Mm. Um, and it also obviously gave you a very specific and unique skills when it comes to working with animals and especially dogs. So um, tell, me about, um, tell me about what you're busy with now or what you're planning to um, do with the, with these skills that you required or acquired the last uh, few years? I think, you know, uh, having a dog doesn't give me a special set of skills that no one else has, but I do think that um, because I insisted on having my dog with me everywhere I go, allowed me to really create a very, very deep bond with him to the point where, mm. you know, we can almost read each other's minds. Um, and we communicate only, you know, we can communicate with sounds, with whistles, with like eye movements. And, and, and usually we don't have to communicate at all because we're so um, used to every type of scenario that there is. And we kind of know what it, we expect of each other. Like today, we went uh, on a walk to the beach, like usual walk. And I let Chai take the lead and I told him, take us wherever you want to go this morning. And then he got to this point where there, we usually we either take left or right, and he stopped. And my in my mind, I was like, um, you know, you take the lead, I don't care. And and I remember him stopping, and I thought, yo, what an intelligent creature, you know? That he he stops and he turns around, he looks at me, and I didn't have to do anything for him to realize that basically in my heart, I'm saying go for it. And then he just yeah. chose one side and and took us there. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I think any relationship that you um, spend a lot of time in, you know, you grow to understand the other person or animal in a very, very deep level. And for me and Chai, it's a very, such an intense relationship that most people don't have with their children or with their partners. It's like 24-7 together for eight yeah. years. And also it's just me and him. So we have all this time to pay extra attention to each other. And yeah. we, I consist on walking without a leash. You know, this entire trip, I think I can count on one hand the amount of time I put a leash on him. Yeah. So that also, you know, in order to be able to walk without a leash, you have to pay triple amount of attention. You have to constantly check where each other is and, you know, um, be like a pack. <laughs> um, so today, I think... I think um, this whole experience, having this dog with me and also seeing a lot of wild dogs in the nature, you know, there's, I'm sorry, I'm breaking up my, my uh, tempo here, but there is a story that I, I keep telling because only today I realized how important it is. 
Yeah. We used to, whenever we were driving in a dirt road, I would, in tar road, I would let Chai run uh, next to the car because it was like his favorite thing. And then there was the first time when we, you know, started getting, I saw this little house on the side and then this little tiny little shed on the other side. And suddenly I hear dog, dogs barking and I realized, you know, I'm getting into this uh, little village and there's a lot of dogs there and all the dogs are coming barking at us. And I remember, you know, breaking the car super fast and lifting the, um, and the handbrake and jumping out of the car because I knew we have like 20 dogs about to jump at my dog. Yeah, and like it's, you know, it's not a joke. And I jumped out of the car and we kind of, you know, it all happened really fast, but we kind of stood back to back, me and Chai. And, and I was really linked with his, um, with his feelings. And I remember instant, like spontaneously, um, you know, changing my position, the way I hold my body, kind of like a dog does when he's, uh, when he's uh, trying to intimidate his arrival by sure. lifting the hairs at, the, at his back. You know, and, and like ducking down and looking at the at the other dog in a really serious eyes. So we kind of you know stood back to back and kind of gave them the look of like don't mess with us. And yeah. then I, and then but I then I also gave Chai the lead because I knew he understands the situation way better than I do. And then at some point I see all the dogs stopped and looked at us and we're like so they surrounding us. And then yeah. he lifts his tail up like in a you know kind of like a white flag. Um, gesture yeah. and then and then one dog came to smell his butt and I kind of took a step back and I tried to change my energy into positive and calm energy like following the flow of the energy of the, all the dogs and then they accepted us and we ended up driving through the village you know all the dogs are running <laughs> by the car guys like super proud with his chin up like uh, you know I'm the man <laughs> and um, you know all these all these situations and I have many stories like that you know taught me how to um, how to speak dog from dogs, you know, how sure. to speak their language instead of speaking Hebrew or English or Spanish and trying to get them to understand me. I just paid attention and I understand them. And then only by my energy and, you know, my thoughts and my body language, I can get them to pretty much, I wouldn't say do what I want because that's like humans. The fact that you have a language between you doesn't mean you can get any human to do what you want, but I can get yeah. them to understand me and I can understand them. And that alone opens a bridge of communication that allow you to do a lot of things. So when I got back to Israel, uh, the Corona started and I just, you know, we, we just, uh, I just came back from South Africa and I was, uh, <laughs> I had nothing, no job, no car, no money. I didn't even have clothes. I was still like wearing the same clothes I had in, in South America mostly. And uh, now Corona heats, so we're in quarantine and I'm sleeping at the place boat, uh, a boat of a friend. And, you know, out of uh, having absolutely no options of making money, I, uh, I decided to do a series of like ways you can enhance your relationship with your dog while being quarantined. And yeah. I found a sponsor and that kind of saved you know, the next few months for me economically. Um, and, and I hated every minute of this show that I did, which is still published in my, in my, my page, if anyone wants to check it out, which it came out really amazing. And the content there is super important, but I just didn't love doing it because I was trying to perfect it and like do it the way I think it should look rather yeah. than just focusing on the, on the qual on, on like the content itself, I tried to focus on the quality, and I ended up yeah. hitting myself. When the show was over, 
um, you know, just the world, the universe started sending me all these opportunities. People started asking me questions about dogs and I realized how much I enjoy talking to them and how much knowledge I had. You know, I had this, uh, they call it like uh, the syndrome of the, you know, it's like you're, you're afraid to admit that you're worth something because maybe sure. you study or whatever. Um, but then, you know, I just started helping people for free. And I realized how much impact I have. And, you know, one tip that I give someone on the road can get them to change completely the dog behavior. The next day they come to me and said, you don't believe it. Like, it's all different now. And I started, um, you know, at the beginning, I remember charging really, really, really low amount of money when, when people started dressing me and asking for my help. Yeah. And slowly but surely, you know, I uh, I... According to the needs of other people and the demand, I, I made my price a bit higher. And I also, during that time, ended up making my own um, my own method of, of how to work with dogs. And today, you know, I took it took me a long time to figure out how to call it because I hate the word training because I don't come yeah. to train anyone. So today, I think what I do is I'm bridging between people and their dogs in communication wise when i come i ask the human all everything he has to tell me and then i look at the dog and i and i see everything he has to tell me and then i try to communicate each other you know the dog to the human and the human to the dog and then i help both of them understand what could be a good middle ground for them you know yeah uh, that that could be healthy and i explain to the human what he needs to do in order to teach a dog because it's like an adult and a child um and and you know what? I'm not even ashamed to admit it anymore, but it works like magic. And I'm so mm. proud of myself that I never ended up going to, to to learn dog training in the traditional way, even though yeah. so many times I thought I should. Because because you know, yesterday I went to this client for the first time and she told me she already had four trainers with a lot of um uh, you know, many years between them of dog training. Sure. And they each came and they gave her, like, they had a consult and then they, you know, they didn't back it up. The things didn't work and they, they just ditched her. Yeah. And and I said, and it, you know, and it's, she said, it sounded like they were each, you know, reading from a guidebook of, like, do A, B, C, D to solve yeah. this problem. And, do, and I just, you know, looked at the dog and some things made a lot of sense and some things I, I thought were completely useless of what those other trainers said and um and just by you know teaching the woman what is what does the dog need right now even if he doesn't know he needs it and within one session you know everything looked differently and and she called me the other day and she said you don't even know even things that we didn't work on we worked on the house and even the trips the walks were improved something that has nothing to do with what we worked on I'm starting to understand that there is a philosophy behind how I see the relationship between humans and dogs should be. Yeah. It's like the responsibility of the human to teach the dog how to live in, in this modern society. Just like, just like with us, you know, this modern society demands us to do a lot of things that we are, we shouldn't be doing, you know, when it comes to our animal instincts or the way our brain developed through, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, evolution. Yeah. So we have we have no choice but to adapt to the rules of society, and it costs us in our souls, in a way. You know, we all need therapy because of all these things that we are constantly 
denying ourselves. But also there is, it seems like there's not many choices. That's what we have to do. And now we dragged our dogs into this into this shit with us because, you know, up to a hundred years ago, dogs would be running wild in the backyard or in the neighborhood and do whatever they want and nobody cared. It was like wild west. And now all the dogs are locked in the living rooms of people in their buildings and they have dog parks and they're, all the dogs need leashes. And, you know, when they poop on the side of the road, you have to pick it up and you can't even yeah. use this beautiful poop as fertilizer to give back to the ground. You have to put it in a plastic bag and throw it into the garbage and never, you know, I yeah. just sometimes I look at the way the world is working and I'm shocked that like it, it, you, you know I I saw I saw a funny clip today um it is uh, of a bulldog that's sitting in a hiding in the bathroom because he's afraid of the uh, thunder and lightning so his owner picks him up and like you know calms him down and and holds him like a baby and yeah. take him to the bed and I thought to myself, you know, it, it's cute, and I, and it's, and it's the poor dog. But then I thought, like, fuck, man, a, a dog, a real, real dog, wild dog, is now somewhere in the wild, like looking at this, like thunder and lightning, and like laughing at it. You no, know, and maybe here we he's are racing our fucking dogs with little jerseys and little hats, and like, you know, not even letting them walk, like carrying yeah. them on our hands, yeah. and all these fucking baby prams. Mm-hmm. And you know, and 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 it's uh, you know calling it cute, but it's it's kind of us that needs to to check ourselves, you know, because we are projecting onto these poor animals things that we are lacking, and the the, the animals are suffering uh, from from us, um, you know, not looking within. So it's um, yeah, it's 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 sometimes very difficult uh, to 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 see it if you are an animal lover, and it's especially you know, and you've mentioned it now, when a dog is on a leash, for example, and it's a massive open beach and there's no one around, you know, like it it you owe it to your dog, the owner owe it to the dog to train him with uh, the current situation of the time that we are living in. So. You know, instead of, you know, everyone calls their dogs their babies and their children and all these things, but they lack to to give them the, the training and the experience. The education. To, I call it the education. education. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, to, to be part of society. Exactly. Um, it's like, you know, think, you know, people make, uh, most people make, you know, the, the basic, most basic mistake. Uh, when they have a puppy or like a young dog, it's full of energy. I let them go a few times and the dog learns whatever I want, nobody can catch me. And then and then the owner realizes, okay, 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 this doesn't work. Like the dog is crazy. I cannot trust him. And then they eventually, you know, after a few times of trying and bad stuff happens and they put him on a leash and then for the rest of his life they will think that they cannot trust him. When it should be exactly the other way around. It's like teaching a child not to you know how to cross the street. The first few years of his life, you have to hold his hand. You can't rush it. You can't like try to teach a three-year-old how to cross the street safely. You have yeah. to hold his hand, and then you have to teach him. And then whenever he comes to the age when he understands a little bit, you have to show him what to do. And then you have to let go of his hand, but go with him, you know, and always be there to support and protect. And then slowly but surely, and then one day comes the age where, you know, the kid said, Dad, I'm going to, to my friend alone. And he's going yeah. across the street, and you tell him, okay, just make sure that you – so that is how we should teach our dogs to do 
everything. You know, first of all, understand that when they're puppies, they're still puppies and you can't expect them to, you know, within a month, you know, learn potty training or learn not to be crazy or, you know, and then they go through teenage. So you have to be aware of the situation. But eventually, as they grow old, you know, there is no reason for us to expect of them exactly what we expect of our children. You know, I mean, this is something I learned from Chai. There isn't a limit to what this dog can grasp. There isn't yeah. a limit to what I can expect of you. And every time I'm, I'm, I'm trying something new, even till this day, an eight-year-old dog, even they say that an old dog can learn new tricks. You know, I try something and I try to explain it to him and I show him how and I'm being very patient. If he's struggling, if he's afraid, I'm not pushing him. I'm not creating any trauma. I'm not um, enforcing him, you know, to do something that he's scared of, but I'm also not enhancing the fear or, you know, it's it, the example you showed with the thunders. So, like, some people would, like, cuddle their child and tell him, oh, my poor baby, you're right. It's so scary. Every time there's a thunder, you should come to mommy's daddy's bed and we will give you hugs. Then you're growing a child that will never feel secure to stay in his own bed when the, you know, and you're putting yourself in a trouble position because this child will probably come to you for the rest of his life whenever he's scared of thunders. Yeah. Or you can ignore him completely and say, ah, grow up, be a man, you know, or you can try and do the halfway, like the middle solution, the centered solution, which is to tell him, hey, I'm here. It's all good. And, you know, don't make victimize him. Don't make him feel so like a poor little guy, but yeah. also show him a lot of, it's about leadership. It's about confidence. Sure. And, and it's a whole religion. And I can talk about it for, you know, 700 podcasts and I wouldn't run out mm-hmm. of something to speak of. But, well, you that's, know, that's, that's what we, uh, the conclusion that we came to. So, uh, you know, hopefully you yeah. would uh, take um, all these uh, knowledge that you have and, uh, you know, um, start, start a podcast and share this, share it with, uh, on a different type of platform with, uh, you know, individuals uh, out there that's interested in, um, you know, learning how to not only deal with um, their own dog, but how to deal with themselves and create that relationship or, uh, uh, you know, create a better bond between them and their um, um, pets. Yeah. So, uh, you know, everything in its time. Everything I also learned this year, there's no need to rush things. Like another thing I really want to do is go back to writing because just to write a blog. And I think I'm a person who has a lot of things to say anyway. You can yeah. Well, I think it's important to get it out because... You, I agree, uh, but you know, sometimes you're just not in the mood, you know? No, and, sure. But, uh, you know, uh, you mentioned something earlier and it, uh, the term for that was imposter syndrome. Yeah, imposter syndrome. Um, and, um, you know, and it's... Uh, all in its own time, but you know, um, if 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 one day you do a little bit of writing, the other day a little bit of talking, in the end of the day, you you know you you cover a lot of bases where uh, you can um, you know share mes- uh, your message across across the board. So, um, so I think you know let's let's bring it back to the dog conversation, okay? Let's say I have an imposter syndrome, which means I have uh, I don't have enough confidence in my abilities, in my knowledge, in what I have to say. So pushing myself into saying something that I don't necessarily feel ready to say or, or write, for that matter, would, would probably cause a trauma and make me feel like I, what, I, what I would say I would write would sound without the confidence it needs to be successful. And, and you know, people wouldn't follow or I wouldn't get many comments or whatever it is that I use to judge my, or evaluate my success sure. would be a failure. And then it would probably cause me not to do it again rather than focusing on whatever it is that is causing me 
to the imposter syndrome or the fear or yeah. the lack of security and work yeah. on that from the root like actually trying to see where does it meet me and why why does it make me feel that way and where else did i feel like that in my life and yeah. by working on these things and then giving it its time you know, and just saying i have my whole life to do everything and and let's just focus on the now and if something comes up let's just deal with it and 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 then I, I you know just like this business it took me a year to get to the point where i can i feel i feel okay to charge money out of people and that yeah. I, and i don't have issues with work because after so many years of being free and like travel and not force myself into any routine suddenly you know to me work has become a big issue i mean the connotation in my mind is work hard work a lot yeah. work, you have to work you have you have expectations you need to to you know be there for the clients and you have uh uh you you promise to be there at some point an hour of a day and now you can't change your mind so i was very very terrified of the idea and i had to break to slowly slowly but surely break down all these beliefs these limiting beliefs about work about money about profession about destiny about all these things and allow myself to do this from uh, and enjoy like today i can tell you that all of these things that i do whether it's the bridging between dogs and people and million other things that i do like photography like uh, lectures like you know maybe one day podcast or writing you know yeah. i only do it if i feel motivated and i really have something to say and if i don't then fuck it also, like, you know, I have a huge Instagram page with so many followers. And for a long period of time, I forced myself to write something there every day. And today, I know that, like, if I'm not in the mood, I'm not going to write it. And that is how I believe I should live my life. And I don't try to live it up to any standard of professionalism. Is that even but, a word? But, but that's, that's perfectly fine with the many people out there. Uh, you know, I is haven't it? posted. I haven't, yeah, I haven't posted. Uh, on my uh, on the Land Rover page since the beginning of the month. It's the end of the month. It's and four weeks ago. Don't you guilty about it? Uh, no, it's um, you know, it's it's my page. It's my tempo. It's my life. Uh, yeah. You know, I think um, I think you should not judge yourself by uh, the con the, the 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 tempo of content out there and how people you know manage it. Uh, everyone to their yeah. own thing. I mean, there's podcasts that I've listened to where the 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 guy puts out one episode a month, and yeah. he has you know like a million people uh, following uh -huh. or uh, downloading his podcast for for real. You know, yeah. one one episode a month, maybe two hour episode. That's it. This is what this guy gives you a month, yeah. and he's successful. You know, uh, other people yeah. you you see them offloading every day, but it's a bunch of dog shit. And they talk for two hours, but it's just shooting shit and talking about dicks and fucking dumb things that, you know, you don't get any value from. So it also depends on the, uh, you know, the, the quality of what you are uh, um, putting out. So um, anyway, um, listen, it's, uh, it's been a good, good, good hour and a half. Um, and obviously, I really enjoyed it. And obviously, there was quite a lot that I've uh, learned from... Um, you know, stories and so on that I've uh, never even heard the first time around. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. And um, hopefully, you know, with COVID being a thing now again uh, around the world, hopefully in six months or a year from now, uh, when everyone had the opportunity to travel and go on adventures, uh, we can get together again and we can, um, you know, share some adventure stories again. 
Amen. Yes, I would. Uh, your mother will come. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and obviously I'll be in touch with you. Give uh, Chai a big kiss, and uh, yeah. yeah, enjoy the Thank heat. Thank you for, for having me. us. It was yeah. a pleasure talking. It was a good, good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good man. Enjoy the week. Enjoy the weather. Enjoy the heat. Enjoy uh, the rain. Yeah. Yeah. Thank Full you. Full blankets. Bye-bye. Cheers. <laughs> Take it easy.